Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast. We have the Attorney General, uh, Bill Barr, pointing at far-left, quote, extremist groups, end quote, and uh, says that the riots were hijacked by violent radical elements. The president, uh, as we've been reporting from globalnews.ca, President Trump today saying that Antifa is going to be declared a terrorist organization. St. Paul, Minnesota mayor saying most arrests are of people who are not residents of the Twin Cities or the state of Minnesota. We have governments of almost a dozen states calling for deployment of the National Guard. Um, there's uh, so much going on. We're going into night. Is it night five or nine or night six? Reggie Sacchini joins us from Washington, producer and correspondent for at Global News and Global National. Reggie, I was looking at your uh, at your Twitter feed today, and the photographs of the morning after another night are so viscerally troubling. Yeah, Roy, and I mean, look, this is a, a situation that's playing out uh, in in dozens and dozens of cities across the country, uh, where people woke up to their cities essentially smoldering after what was a fifth night now into the sixth day and potentially a sixth night of protests. You know, uh, what we were witnessing uh, last night uh, with the protests in Washington was a culmination of everything from uh, that we saw happen in Minneapolis on Friday, uh, anger towards the president that's existed for the last several years, and then just a series. Uh, of, of people who are, are angry and upset uh, after what they say are lifetimes uh, of uh, being treated, uh, uh, you know, without the same equality as the rest of this country. And that's what uh, kind of led to this, this scene that we woke up to this morning with buildings broken into, uh, businesses looted and set ablaze, uh, and a country that is, is still sitting on edge. Yeah, I can't imagine what the mood would be like as you walk through uh, what you saw and what you took pictures of and what people, how people are feeling. Is there concern? I would imagine there is. There's real concern there's going to be another night of what happened over the last five. There is concern, uh, A, because there is just such a, a strong presence of anger that exists in this country. I mean, Washington, D.C., there was a protest that started just around 2 o'clock uh, Eastern time. Uh, it, it's a peaceful march right now. There are several hundred people. Uh, it started at one of the historically black universities in Washington, Howard University. Uh, it's now on its way to the, the Capitol and to the White House. Uh, but as we've seen take place over the last several days, these oftentimes peaceful marches are met with a different kind of protester, uh, you know, that are the ones that are putting, you know, A in a circle on a building uh, and that have led to the president, to the attorney general, to say that this is, uh, you know, a lot of the times involving people from, you know, what they believe to be Antifa. Uh, so there is concern, uh, which is why the National Guard has been deployed to more cities around the country. So what's going on at the White House? There was a news conference this morning, wasn't there? Uh, no, the president has actually been silent, uh, with the exception of a couple of tweets today. Uh, uh, some of his uh, advisors from the administration were on cable news for the Sunday morning shows, but the president uh, really has stayed mum. His press secretary put out a couple of tweets and really tried to change the narrative by saying that there are also legitimate concerns, uh, you know, with things like Michael Flynn and the president's 2016 campaign, uh, you know, and links to the Steele dossier, uh, which is being criticized. Uh, for being completely blind to the situation right now, that those are not legitimate concerns right now. Uh, and as you had mentioned off the front, uh, the, the president, he did put this tweet out there saying that, you know, he wants the United States to declare Antifa a terrorist organization. The issue is the U.S. doesn't have the mechanisms to declare anything domestically a terrorist organization. That's simply something uh, for foreign organizations. But secondly, 
Antifa is a, is a thought. It is not an organization. It is a, a very vague and loose-termed grassroots movement, which would be impossible to label uh, as, as something, uh, as a terrorist organization. And, you know, it, it would draw up further concerns that you're calling somebody who's anti-fascist a terrorist when, you know, during World War II, the United States actively worked to defeat uh, Hitler and the Nazis. Um, Reggie, it's governors that have to call in or call for the military. I mean, they're, they're also the ones who decide on the National Guard in their states. But they, if, if they, if the U.S. military is to be called in, and this is what President Trump has said on a number of occasions, at least the military police, it would be the governors that would have to make that decision, as I understand it. Do you have any sense that they will actually be seeing real American military on the streets of American cities? I mean, it's something that is so rare in this country, and it's because under the Constitution, the military is not allowed to act domestically. There is a law that forbids them uh, from partaking in day-to-day -day, uh, policing of the United States. The president would have to use an incredibly uh, uh, rarely used uh, position of his power, uh, you know, essentially saying that the Insurrection Act needs to be uh, called upon to put the military in action. But this really is something that is, is a difficult position for governors because states' rights are so strong in this country. Governors say the National Guard is there to take place of the military, but the president uh, oftentimes likes to Stoke the flames and use uh, big and bold and mighty words on his Twitter account to say that he is the one who is in charge. Uh, and it makes America look very different from what it was just a couple of years ago and starts to lump America in with these other countries who seem to use the military to kind of carry out the will of their own leader. Is the United States becoming more divided by the day? Uh, maybe, I hope this doesn't sound like a silly question, but is the U.S. becoming more divided by the day, or is there a sense of determination that uh, we have to get past the protests, we have to get past the rioting, we have to come to, or at least begin the path to a really meaningful resolution? Uh, what's the mood? Which one of those two, if, if I may ask you? What yeah, well, so look, this country is divided, but this country has been divided essentially from its beginning, not just down party lines, but based on, on who you are. And, and, and unfortunately, uh, it's divided based on the color of your skin. And yes, there are local leaders and state leaders and the president who want the protests to end. But there are also people of color in this country who have been uh, uh, mistreated for not just decades, but centuries. And they say, if these protests don't continue if our voices aren't heard this division is only going to grow uh stronger and you see these protests come out each time uh an unarmed african-american man or woman uh, die while in police custody and right. they say one has been too many zero should be the number and those numbers sure. continuously rise and they say that's why they come out you know they right. are met with protesters who have nothing to do uh, with the kind of the memory of, of the person who died. Okay, Reggie, uh, I, have, I, have to, I have to stop you there because I have a hard break coming up in 15 seconds. But I thank you so much. Great talking to you. Thanks for all the reporting. Excellent reporting. Always. Thanks. Thank you. Reggie Sacchini joining us from uh, Washington, Global News producer. And uh, at uh, Global News, uh, you can find it on, uh, on Twitter. The uh, liberals, the liberals of Mr. Trudeau and the NDP, of Mr. Singh have decided to vote together and essentially suspend parliamentary activity, meaningful parliamentary activity, until the 21st of September. And here's uh, a little bit of what Christian Luprecht, who's our guest in the last half hour, last segment, 
uh, wrote about that. The government capitalized on the virus to limit democratic debate on measures it has implemented. It has also shut down the very ability of Parliament to carry out its functions, representation, scrutiny of the executive, and authorizing legislation. In other words, you get to do whatever you want to do because there aren't going to be any specifically important meetings and uh, questions asked and answers demanded. And uh, it's, I just have a really serious issue with what they've decided to do. And I think it's middle of June 16th or 17th, there's going to be a four-hour debate on the spending that the liberals have have committed to in the last number of weeks, about $150 billion, I think it is. And that's it, four hours of real debate on that. And that's not nearly enough, as the parliamentary um, budget officer pointed out. Let's talk to our... Beauties. It's a resumption of our Beauties and the Beast panel. Michelle Simpson, former Liberal Member of Parliament, former seatmate to Justin Trudeau. How are you, Michelle? Oh, Roy, I'm just doing wonderfully well given the circumstances, and I feel I'm a lucky person. And happy 45th wedding anniversary. Oh, aren't you sweet? (laughs) Yes, today is my 45th wedding anniversary, and I've been married to the same guy for 45 years. Fantastic. You and George have a wonderful day, and thanks for making time for us. Oh, my pleasure. Linda Leatherdale, former money editor for the Toronto Sun and vice president of Cambria, Canada. How are you, Linda? Hey, Roy. I'm so happy to be back on the show and going a little stir-crazy in isolation. And, Michelle, happy anniversary. We'll, uh, we'll we'll get to a question for Michelle in a second. Catherine Swift, former president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, now working Canadians.ca. Hi, Catherine. Hi, everyone, and congratulations, Michelle. That's fantastic. Oh, yes, it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> and that's great to hear. After 45 years of marriage to hear you say it's really fantastic, that is really terrific to hear. Michelle, you know Trudeau. You know the government. You know how it works inside those parliamentary power or corridors of of power. What is what do you think is behind this decision? They say it's the pandemic, but what do you really think is happening? Maybe you're going to say it's the pandemic. Uh between the Liberals and the NDP to set push aside, um, to kick to the curb, really, the parliamentary business. Well Roy, I really feel that uh Mr Singh has been played for a sap because I see this as no more than a power grab and there is no accountability on the government's part for anything that they do. And honestly, I think it could be a long setup to what could conceivably be a snap election at some point, particularly with the Conservatives' rudderless. But quite honestly, I think it's, it's absolutely horrendous. Linda, what are your thoughts on what's going on? Well, you know, I worry, Roy, about democracy. And I think these are uncharted territories that we're into. And I think every voice in Canada should be heard. And I think it's disgraceful that Parliament is not in full control here. And when you look at this, Roy, our our GDP economic development is down 8.2%. We've got the Bank of Canada governor warning of a depression. Uh, We've got household spending down 9%. Um, we've got debt-to-disposable income ratio supposed to hit 200%. Um, bank profits, every, every bank reported last week on second quarter, they all were down, but they $8.3 billion for loan losses. Ottawa's in trouble here. They were counting on real estate finance and insurance mm-hmm. for the GDP, but now 
after the oil prices crashed, but now we're no longer. And now we're seeing housing getting hit really hard. I right. know Canadians have propped up their spending, borrowing against home equity. Um, housing prices are going okay. 75% drop. Anyway, this is where we need leadership. Yeah. And let me, let me, just, just, just in the interest of time, I'm sorry, Linda. Um, Catherine, so now on, what is it, June 17th, there's going to be that four-hour debate about the 150 or so billion dollars that uh, Mr. Trudeau has committed to spending. Some estimates are that our deficit's going to be around $400 billion by the end of the calendar year, and uh, and Mr. Singh's gone along. Now, look, I, I, I tweeted out, between them, they lost 47 seats in in the last election, they, they lost a tremendous uh, amount of the popular vote. The Liberals got elected with the lowest popular vote in the history of this country and essentially was sent back to govern with, a, with the political equivalent of an ankle bracelet. So what do you make of what's happening? What's, what's, your, what's your sense tell you what's going on? Well, we see people all over the world, uh, thugs usually, uh, dictators, to, trying to take advantage of the pandemic to consolidate their own power. We see in China them crushing democracy in Hong Kong, which is an outrage, should be an outrage to the free world, and, and yet there's not a whole lot of reaction because everybody's sidetracked. And here in Canada, we have our very own dictator, <laughs> who, by the way, let's not forget, this guy's got a track record. Even when they had a majority government, they tried to pass legislation to squelch debate in the House of Commons, to downplay the role of the opposition, and so on and so forth. Just a few weeks ago, they tried to uh, make themselves dictators with totally... They hid, they hid something in a, in a pandemic aid bill to permit them to basically be dictators until the end of 2021. Well, that got shot down, thankfully. So now they've achieved it till, the, till uh, a date in September. I agree with Michelle. Singh was played. This guy, he also doesn't get provincial jurisdiction. He does, I mean, I, I really wonder what he learned when he was uh, even a provincial politician. Well, you know, I'm starting, to look at, I'm starting to look at all of them and wonder what's going on, because I look at the Conservative Party, and they're, they're like a, a duck that's just waddling down the, the, the road, quacking away, and nobody's paying attention to them. They're, they've become really incidental to the entire situation, and they had a wonderful opportunity. Well, they had an opportunity before October 21st, blew that, but they still had opportunity. Michelle, there are people in this country, many people in the, in the country who are listening to what we're saying and saying they are 100% wrong, all four of them, they don't get it. This is really about the pandemic and the Prime Minister and Mr. Singer doing exactly the right thing to protect, to, to, you know, to protect parliamentarians. My response to that is, I want yours, but my response to that is uh, liquor store employees were deemed to be essential uh, workers, um, so maybe parliamentarians should as well. What, again, just pick up on that thought, please. Roy? They should be doing their job, and this is nothing more than a play, and I agree with Catherine, it's a grab for power under cover of, you know, a national or global crisis, and we're seeing it in other countries, and we're no better. I think that Mr. Singh decided to do this, uh, And as Catherine said, I agree wholeheartedly. He has no idea about provincial jurisdictions. And I frankly don't think that uh, the Prime Minister is going to deliver on this promise. No, well, it's not even much of a promise. Yeah. They basically said they'd think about it. Yeah. 
And it's a dumb, it's a dumb, anyway, it's a dumb promise in any event. Yeah. But, but yeah, the whole thing stinks to high heaven. And yeah, the conservatives, when you said the ducks, Roy, I thought of all the ducks biting each other's butts is what the conservatives are looking at right now. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's horrid. We're not seeing leadership anywhere in this country at a time we desperately need it. Well, didn't uh, Trudeau as well come up with a plan, uh, sort of, that's really provincial jurisdiction, not federal jurisdiction, provincial jurisdiction, which would cost businesses a lot of money, uh, for uh, for for paid uh, time off. Yes, sick days. Sick, that's, those are the two that words That was a trade-off for. that Singh supposedly made. And Trudeau said, well, yes, we'll consider it. Ooh, hey, there's a real iron But it's not, that's not going to work. We know how well he keeps his promises anyway. Never. <laughs> I just want you to read, read you an email that I received from Barry Westholm. Uh, Sergeant Major in the Canadian Army for he's been well, was in the military for more than thirty five years, and he's very concerned about what we've been talking about the uh, the uh, Liberals and the NDP combining to essentially shelf Parliament. He writes and he sent this to every member of Parliament. All I've no doubt uh, you all appreciate that come September the NDP could once again support the Liberals in undermining our parliamentary system and our democracy for an additional number of months. There are ways to have sitting meetings while maintaining social distancing and employing effective health measures, meeting in a larger forum, such as an armory, stadium, auditorium, or gymnasium, where social distancing can be maintained as one method. I also recommend that you reach out to the other parties to invite them to cross the floor to the CPC, both publicly and privately. This may seem extreme, but it's an incredibly sensitive and historical time. This is a 35-year veteran, Sergeant Major, from the Canadian Army, very, very concerned. Any any final thoughts on this that you want to express, Catherine, before we well, go on to the think, long-term I, care? I think Canadians, conservatives, they need to get their act together because they're badly needed now in their MIA. But also, uh, we Canadians need to express to our elected officials, this is unconscionable, you're getting paid full salary, you're not doing your job, and we won't take it anymore. Yeah. Linda? I agree with Catherine. They've got to do their job, and we have to keep democracy alive I hate the growing of dictatorships that's happening. So stand up and demand fairness here. Michelle? We should stand up and raise the roof. But unfortunately, as I, as I indicated, they're taking advantage of this pandemic. And so many people are out of work and they've got other uh, more important things on their mind. Or at least they think they do. This is yeah. important. Yeah. Looking outside and saying, how's my life going to go from, from here on forward? The long-term care issue. I had a couple of things I was bouncing around to, to run by you, but, but I do have to talk to you about this and, and get your sense of what we've learned and what we found out and what the Canadian Army found out, the military found out when they went into some nursing homes in the province of Ontario. Not every place is like the ones we heard about. But long-term care has become a, a festering sore Linda, let me start with you. Any thoughts that you want to share on this? Well, quite honestly, my heart goes out to seniors in general. Anyway, um, this has been very stressful. But then to have this revelation, and I think some of us might have been suspicious that some of these homes were not treating seniors properly, but for the military to have to go in and then expose it for us, an open sore it is. And I just hope we learn from this because... People that have paid taxes their whole life and they've given everything, we got to have a little bit more respect. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No question. Catherine? Well, we all, I think we all wear this as a society, 
Um, and even though the maybe in, in Ontario, Ford and Accord Legault, and I mean, Quebec's horrible too. It's by no means just Ontario. And there's been incidents in other provinces, but, uh, you know, a shame on, a shame on everybody. And, um, I've, I've had relatives in long-term care, and I've usually tried to visit them. When I see an issue, I talk about it. I know that's not the you know panacea by any stretch. I think families need to be more involved as well. But I think, too, the focus is maybe on provinces here, and it is their jurisdiction, as we were talking jurisdiction earlier. But, you know, we've had a federal government who has mismanaged this COVID-19 crisis. They've admitted they should have closed borders much quicker. And from what I understand, they're still not closed in many respects. Um, they should have put in precautions that were not put in. If we hadn't have let as much of this horrible disease into the country, we wouldn't be seeing the carnage that we've been seeing in long-term care homes. So I think everybody's got a role here and a really sad, ugly one. Michelle. I totally agree with that, Roy. It's been decades this has been a problem. And I remember back in 2003, George Smitherman put a diaper on and went into one, and he was crying because he said it was so bad. But nothing's been done. So this is a part of them. It's been different governments that have ignored it because it was easy to ignore until this virus hit and people started dying, like, quickly and in Mm. big numbers. Yeah. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any focus on it at all. And I spoke yesterday with a former producer of this program, Karen Cumming, great uh, reporter as well, who wrote a book about accessing long-term care in the province of Ontario with her sister. Her mom was in a long-term care facility, and it was they were happy with it. It was, a, you know, it was well run, but there was a very there was a real shortage of staff. And Karen talked about hearing the buzzers going, you know, the the, the help me buzzer, please help me buzzer, and it was like a, a just a chorus of these things going all night, all night. And, uh, and nobody responded because uh, that that place, they didn't have the staff, but that speaks volumes. When the help me buzzer goes and nobody comes, that's a huge issue. We have about 45 seconds for your thoughts on what's going on with the Conservative Party of Canada. I'll tell you, when uh, when the when the president of the Writing Association in Quebec talked about, uh, wrote about Stephen Harper coming back to, at least on, on an interim basis, to lead the party, the the, the 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 hissing that came out of the weeds across country was 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 amazing. Uh, Catherine, you're a member of the Conservative Party of Canada. What the hell's going on? Uh, well, they're they're mired in this uh, stupid backbiting leadership contest right now. So worst possible time to be in the middle of that kind of situation, which is always fractious for any party, right? Everybody criticizes everybody. Sure. Else. I mean, happens with the other parties too. But uh, the timing couldn't be worse. But they're like I. I think they're also they're they're victims of uh, you know uh, their own goals, as they say. You know they're they're doing it to themselves as well. And at a time we need some leadership in the in the official opposition federally, we sadly don't have it. And uh, going forward, um, uh, boy, I and, and Michelle, you mentioned the snap election, and boy, that would be just devastating for Canada. Snap elections often rebound and they snap right back in the politician's face that calls them. So it might not work for mm-hmm. uh, old Trudeau there. Okay, I have I have just a couple of seconds uh, for each of you. Stephen Harper, yes, no, Catherine. He won't come back. No. Would you like it though? I think his day is done. I like. I, I do like him. It has nothing to do with him personally. But okay. I think once you're once you're done, you're done, and okay. he's moved on. So no, I would say don't come back. Michelle. No, don't come back. Okay, <laughs> Linda. What about you? Well, you know what? We need some leadership. If he will lead, bring him back. That's what I say. 
I'm going to be speaking with Michael Tolov a little later in the show about this, and he used to be a speechwriter for Stephen Harper. And we'll talk. Michael doesn't think it's going to happen either. But then I'm going to be uh, hopefully be taking some phone calls from our listeners to find out if they'd like to see Trudeau Harper the sequel. Anyway, uh, Michelle, happy anniversary! Thank you, Roy. All the best to you and, and George. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, Catherine. Time goes by so fast. Thanks. It does indeed. Go yes. celebrate, Michelle. Go celebrate, Michelle. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, yes, All right. I think I will pour a glass of wine. All right, good for you. All right, sounds like a plan. <laughs> okay, thank you, beauties. Joining us from New York City, as he did yesterday, and we're very appreciative, Curtis Sliwa from WABC Radio in New York City, also New York mayoral host, uh, mayoral candidate uh, for the election next year. Curtis, thank you for the time. And so we have the president saying Antifa is going to be designated a terrorist organization. And we have uh, Mayor de Blasio saying he's very upset at the way protesters were treated by the NYPD. Well, that figures because uh, I just saw a parade of NYPD vehicles on tow trucks that have been torched out all of last night in the continuation of the riots in the streets of lower Manhattan. The graffiti marked all over them, uh, Black Lives Matter, BLM, and ACAB. Now, do you know what ACAB means, Roy? No idea. All cops are bastards. So it's everywhere. And unfortunately, when the tow trucks were moving the burned-out relics, the hulks of the NYPD marked vehicles so they could take them to the... uh, actual junkyard for disposal there were some new yorkers who were applauding it applauding it roy i mean i mean in what is called the east village they were applauding the cops having been attacked by these anarchists and this gang of thugs last night in this part of the city as it continues through other parts of the city today what's the mood in new york city today curtis what's it feel like well, remember, many people are still chained to their radiators, make that their air conditioners because of the pandemic of coronavirus. So you have people who have all this pent-up anger for being forced to wear masks, socially distance, stay in their apartments. They don't have money to pay their rent. They don't have money to, to get food. They don't know when they'll ever be able to go back and work again if they even have a job. So that's part of the anger here that I see surfacing in the streets. And who do you generally take it out on? You don't take it out on the elected officials. The sign of authority, the sign that has to enforce all these regulations, is the New York Police Department. And they're catching the brunt of this anger, this angst. And actually the professional rabble-rousers, Antifa and others, and organized street gangs are coming in. And they're actually doing looting. So they're not doing peaceful protests like so many of the people are. They're actually busting the windows. They're putting the sign of anarchy, the big A, uh, almost as a sign that they rule the streets. And unfortunately, I must tell you, Roy, after last night, they do rule the streets in New York. What was it like last night on the streets in New York City? Oh, it's, it's sad because I've seen this situation before. Many veterans know how bad this city was, how it had slipped into the abyss in the 70s and 80s when it was gripped in a crime wave, 
in the 90s in the aftermath of what happened with Rodney King, and then obviously in 2015 in the aftermath of Michael Brown in Ferguson and Freddie Gray in Baltimore and Eric Gardner here in New York City. So I've seen it before. I've seen it play out, and we haven't learned from those mistakes. We're making the same mistakes. Unfortunately, we have a mayor who is gutless, who is feckless, who is weak, who has turned over the streets of the city to thugs and organized mayhem, and the cops who no longer have faith that the city will have their back. I mean, I saw citizens applauding, applauding the fact that these SUV vans that the citizens with their own tax dollars paid for were arson, were firebombed, were attacked and graffitied. And when you see that half the city is applauding that action, you begin to wonder where New York City is going. It will no longer be the economic engine of the world, of America, of the state of New York. In fact, it's moving in the direction of a Detroit. Curtis, there's a video, uh, I'm sure you're aware of it, more, more than a million views of an NYPD patrol car. The word plowing has been used. I've seen it. It, it kind of lurches into a crowd. It's been, again, viewed by more than a million people. What's that about? Do you know the well, inside story there? All day yesterday and the day before, the rabble-rousers, that part of the demonstrations who have an agenda, who want to confront the police, know that the police have their hands tied. First off, I would never have had them in vehicles. That is a horrible mistake, because then the cops are trapped. They should have all been out in the street, old school style. You call it hats and bats. You have the helmets on. You have the big truncheons, the big batons. You block off areas. You say, this is where you're going to peacefully demonstrate, and you're not going anywhere else, or you're going to go right to the hooskow. You're going to get locked up. Unfortunately, there's a no-bail system now, so everyone who's been arrested over these past few days, they're all back out in the streets to demonstrate again, to throw Molotov cocktails, to attack the police. So the police feel impotent. They feel frustrated, and they're turning over the streets of some parts of the city to the thugs and the roving band of gangs who strike, particularly when the sun comes down and then there are no cops around this part of town. What are you expecting from your callers tomorrow? Oh, I expect a lot of rage, a lot of anger, defense of the president, Donald Trump, who's being blamed for this. You scratch your head and you say, wait, wait, wait. what did the president say when he found out about the killing of that black man in the streets of South Minneapolis? He had empathy. He had sympathy. I've yet to find anybody on any side of the political spectrum who supported what the cops did in Minneapolis. It's an aberration. And anybody who knows Minneapolis knows it's a politically correct city with a politically correct police department that are more social workers than they are cops. I've spent a lot of time in the streets of South Minneapolis, and I can tell you they're not brutes. They're not enforcers. They don't use excessive force. This is definitely an exception to the rule and has led to all of these demonstrations and all this looting and arson all over America. There's more to it than just the killing of an innocent black man in the streets of South Minneapolis by a cop who clearly had his own agenda. This is more about anger towards the United States, anger towards capitalism, and fulfilling the agenda of an AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who I say is all out crazy, who wants us to become a socialist country, 
and not the strong capitalist country that leads the free world. How does this all end? Well, this ends when all of a sudden people, like they have in times before, say enough is enough. You know how Americans are. If there is one business that will do Buffalo box office during both this panda uh, pandemic and now the riots and the looting, it's the stores that sell guns and ammunition. Americans will take matters into their own hands and they'll say, this is not going to happen in our neighborhood, in our community, in our county or in our state. And they will adapt to self-defense. I've seen this before. So it's the urban areas in which there are no weapons, there are no ammunition, except in the hands of the thugs and those who want to do harm, the gangs, they will be turned over to the criminal element. And suburbia in America and rural America will protect themselves and support the police as we all should be supporting the police. Curtis, thank you for yesterday and thanks for today. really appreciate you coming on the show. Boy, yeah, boy, I'm crawling back into the belly of the beast. The demonstrators, the rabble-rousers, and the thugs, and the gang members are out there today. And they're not going to stop until they're put into their place. But this mayor, he doesn't have the hoods for the youngins to do it. Well, you're running for the position next year, so maybe I'll be talking to Mayor Sliwa, not too distant from now. Well, I've got to. We've got to save this city. It's got to be improved. Don't move. I'll talk to you again. Curtis, thank you so much again for yesterday and for today. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Roy. Curtis Lee, from WABC Radio in New York City. He's the founder of the Guardian Angels and uh, running for mayor of New York next year. We are, we're desperate for sports. We are so desperate for sports. We want to see the uh, NHL playoffs and now, so the plan is, uh, later this summer, two hub cities hosting 12 teams each. Edmonton is one Canadian city under consideration. They've got low COVID numbers. They've got all the facilities that are necessary. The other cities are Vancouver and Toronto. And, of course, one of the issues is going to be whether or not uh, the border is going to be open and, you know, can you travel from the United States to Canada? Would they make an, an exception if they don't open the border? Let's talk about that. Bob Stoffer joins us, Edmonton Oilers color analyst and the host of Oilers Now on our global news radio station in Edmonton, 630 Ched. Bob, I'm excited. First of all, Roy, I'm a big fan of John Wayne, the baby, so I love the transition coming back from that break. Uh, it takes me back to 1984, which in my case was about 50 pounds and three chins ago. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting time. We got, uh, I mean, I'm sitting here... Uh, I don't uh, have box at the house, but I try to get as much balance as I can. I'm watching CNN on a fairly regular basis, and I had a couple of uh, guys I know in the league last night reach out, and they're like, you know, Bob, a lot of those are, <laughs> you know, Minneapolis is one of the cities, and uh, certainly in the market to potentially uh, be a, a bid host uh, for a pod, and so too was Los Angeles. And two nights ago, True. They, they were right, Roy, they were right on the street where our hotel is, right right next to the arena. So yeah. uh, Thursday night, the St. Paul, uh, you know, uh, facility, uh, because they were protesting in both Minneapolis and St. Paul, and as you know, the uh, wild plant St. Paul, right in front of the arena. So uh, we got a lot going on here uh, with coronavirus. Uh, the federal government is in a unique uh, position. Um, I'm an Albertan, so, you know, when it comes to politics, I might be considered centrist in Alberta, but that automatically makes me right in terms of, uh, you know, 
to the right in terms of most Canadians, and I'm going to be very intrigued to see how uh, Justin Trudeau and uh, and Freeland decide to handle uh, this situation. And to, uh, for I actually have a little bit of empathy for them because we have such a wide range of the effect of COVID. You know, up to date totals: Montreal's at 2,919 dead, Toronto's at 810. Uh, you go out west, Vancouver's at 86, and Edmonton in the 10 weeks uh, since we've been shut down has only had 13 people pass away. And, uh, you know, what the four western provinces only make up 4.4% of the deaths across the country to COVID. So what I'm saying is there's a completely different experience in Montreal and Toronto and right. a different experience in Toronto than western Canada. And, and I think sometimes that's tough for everybody to, to sort of look at. Like, we have a different view of what's going on here at Edmonton and northern Alberta, even in Calgary. Like, Calgary's had considerably more problems at Edmonton. So, uh, you know, it'll be intriguing to see how the federal government, you know, can you have one set of rules for a place like Edmonton and not open up other, you know, other uh, entry ports in the country? I'm going to be very intrigued to see what they do. Yeah. 12 cases, I think, in Edmonton yesterday, was it? Uh, 12 cases of that COVID-19? Uh, yeah. yeah. 53. Yeah. 53. I, I will tell you what happened is they had a bunch of undesignated cases. Like, I've, I've been watching this every day. So, you know, I do a two-hour show every day. And, uh, you know, we're, uh, yes, it's a, a show called Oilers Now, and it's primarily NHL, but we, we tend to do two to three minutes of numbers. And Edmonton after yesterday is up to 53 positive cases for the month of May in the first, uh, uh, 30 days. And they re, uh, reclassified zones for a couple unknown, uh, people, and that's kind of what spiked the numbers. I know that they tested about 1,500 asymptomatic, uh, people. Uh, in the Edmonton region, and there wasn't one positive case. But I do, I, I'm actually concerned that Edmonton Roy can have a better month than May because it went so well here and they've opened right. things up and invariably we're going to have, uh, you know, we're going to have some numbers spike up. But it's, it's, there's no guarantee. I'm going to tell you right now, there's, in my mind, there's no guarantee we play. It's incumbent upon Gary Bettman to, to, uh, you know, explore and exhaust all possible options. But we got a lot going on in the world right now, and frankly, a lot that's super... I mean, Edmonton could be a, a very unique position, even Vancouver. BC's done a pretty good job, though they haven't tested enough. Alberta's testing at twice the rate per capita of BC. But, you know, Western Canada's in a little bit different position than the rest of the world. And, yeah. and now we have this, and I know your show's already been talking about, you know, the riots and everything. It, that just adds a further complication to things moving forward for me. Yeah, we're going to be talking to uh, Reggie Ciccini in a couple of minutes. He'll join us from Washington. Uh, Bob, what do you think is going to happen as far as the uh, as far as this whole plan for the uh, NHL uh, is concerned? You know, it's interesting. I hadn't even honestly, I hadn't even thought about the city selection beyond the Canadian cities. I'm so excited about the idea of having some normalcy return to our lives. And normalcy for me means sports professional sports yeah. the nhl is part of my life and so the idea that they would be playing even if it's in the summertime even if they happen to be in las vegas where it's 110 degrees and they're playing hockey and it's 24 teams and they're playing for the stanley cup that would just set things right for me at least partially do you think it's going to happen i think it's 60 40 it's going to happen i think in a perfect world the league would like to have one of the two pod locations in canada uh, I'm not naive. I mean, you've got Toronto's, the you know, it's the media center of Canada. You've got Sportsnet and TSN there. Sportsnet has both the regional and national rights for, uh, you know, a bunch of, well, they have the national rights for all the teams and the regional rights, which is going to be this playing round, is going to be regionally broadcast. That's an important distinction. So I think their priority would be to play in Toronto. Um, 
I get the sense that the Premier in Toronto is certainly open to it. I'm watching some of the maneuverings from uh, from uh, John Tory, the uh, the mayor. Is that his name, John Tory? Yes. Uh, yeah, and, and it seems to me I don't think he's as open to endorsing things as you know. Don Iveson's the mayor in Edmonton, and I would call him politically left, but he got behind this thing fairly quickly in Edmonton. So uh, I think in a perfect world they like to have it in Toronto. They had the World Cup there. Uh, they know Toronto can handle it. There's a ton of rinks, and they've got significant media advantages. And you mentioned Vegas, Roy, and you know Nevada's playing by their own set of rules. I mean, they got a license to print money with one of the industries that they've got. Sure, they do. Yeah. And yeah. it would not surprise me if the Nevada offer, you know, potentially includes a free resort. I mean, they got tons of huge hotels. Mm-hmm. Maybe they could have all the families there. Uh, but uh, you know, they don't. There's a reason why Vegas gets. So many conferences. They know how to stack okay. the deck to win. So I, I, I will tell you right now, despite the fact that Alberta, let's rephrase that, Central Alberta North and uh, and the Lower Mainland uh, have done a pretty good job in British Columbia of handling COVID. I actually think they're, you know, Edmonton and Vancouver, the two and three holes um, when it comes to Canada. Toronto would be the, the league's most interested place for the Eastern rep. And then I think that Vegas actually would supersede Edmonton and Vancouver, even though Vegas is averaging about 700 uh, positive tests Roy, a week right now. Yeah. In the, in the, Bob, in the 30 seconds or so we have left, who do you like if they play? This is the game we have to play this game. Who yeah. do you like to be in the finals and who do you think would win under the circumstances, which would be totally unique? Uh, under the circumstances, which team do you think would you like, would you think would have a good chance? I think Boston and Pittsburgh, you know, I think the Eastern Conference was stronger than the West this year. I think Vegas, uh, you know, obviously Vegas and St. Louis out West, but in my opinion, the best teams we saw were in the Eastern Conference this year. Well, I hope it happens. I understand. Yeah, you're right about uh, the obstacles that are in the way. And again, I hadn't even been thinking about anything other than the positive side, the upside of the NHL playoffs. I'm so excited about getting any kind of professional sports back on the picture. Bob, thank you for the time. Good talking to you, my friend. Yeah, call anytime. Take care. Yes, sir. Bob Stauffer, Edmonton Oilers color analyst and hosts a two-hour daily show on uh, 630 Chad in Edmonton. Oilers now. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.